1: the wisdom of ancient Egyptian gods and goddesses be relevant to our ordinary life? How does ancient knowledge of divine entities be applied to our own life and our spiritual search? Sekhmet is the lioness goddess of the Egyptian pantheon. She is also known as the enough is enough goddess, whose fierce fury almost devastated a civilization Today, more than ever, we must learn to transform that kind of ferocious outrage into creative solutions and actions that will help bring our planet back into balance and bring healing to ourselves and our precious home. We'll be exploring this path of transformative healing with our guest, Nikki Scully. Nikki Scully has been teaching shamanic arts and Egyptian mysteries since 1983 and is the founder of Shamanic Journeys, which specializes in spiritual tours to sacred sites in Egypt. She's written many books, including Power Animal Meditations, Alchemical Healing, and co-authored several books with Linda Star Wolf, including Shamanic Mysteries of Egypt, and is a creator of the CD set Becoming an Oracle. And she's also the co-author with her husband, Mark Hallert, of Planetary Healing, Spirit Medicine for Global Transformation. Her most recent book is Sekhmet, Transformation in the Belly of the Goddess. Join us for the next hour as we explore the transformative powers of the Egyptian lioness goddess Sekhmet with our guest, Nikki Scully. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Nikki, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here again. It's great to sit across from you once more. We always have the most interesting conversations. And I, I, this time, we're going to be talking about Sekhmet, and then as a guardian of another goddess in Egypt, Mahat. And so let's first start with um, Sekhmet. And tell us, who, who is Sekhmet? Sekhmet, her name
2: means power or mighty one. And the energy, that ferocious energy is called Sekhem. She is the feminine face of the sun. And... She is mostly known as a god of war and destruction, but she is also the quintessential healing goddess of Egypt, although she's lesser known for that because of her legend. And what is her legend? Well, just keep in mind that even though it's been written, it was translated by people who didn't really know how to read between the lines. Um, so I take a a lot of it with a grain of salt. I'll I'll give you the version and kind of weave in my version as well.
1: Give us your interpretation. And first of all, I must say, Nikki, you've been traveling to Egypt for decades, so I want to help our listeners to know the expertise that you come from before we go into her story so that people understand your experience with these Egyptian entities is no small thing. I've led, personally
2: led, more than 60 trips to Egypt since I first went with the Grateful Dead in 1978. And that trip was a pivotal moment in my life because... I was so enraptured and enchanted by Egypt, I was back three weeks later and banging on the gates of the temples going, where is this magic coming from? And they sent me home to study for uh, 10 years before I brought my first group back. And in that time, I made relationships with Thoth, who became my teacher, and Maat, who was also a mentor. And... Many others, so that when I came back, they laid out a feast of magic, and it's been
1: happening ever since. And Thoth and Mahat are both Egyptian gods and goddesses. Right. I mean, when they're you called, say my mentors, and they're so real right. to you, Nikki, <laughs> and and they, they're so embodied in your life, and and you know, we're saying, oh, her mentor, oh, is that Nelson Mandela, uh, <laughs> or, or okay. is that um, Dr. Martin Luther King? Who who's her mentor? Uh, what they they are is they're called neteru
2: and the Coptic word for that would be Neture and the english word for that is nature. So the egyptian religion is actually a nature religion and it's not that different from native american shamanism. It's they they put animal heads on human bodies and vice versa and they use nature to depict the truths that they Saw And those truths are still relevant today. And um, a recent book, um, Shamanic Mysteries in the Pyramid Text, I think it is, by Jeremy Nadler, explains the shamanic view of Egypt and that it was actually a shamanic culture which included initiations that were very deep, the technu initiations where the pharaoh or his stand-in would have to vision quest in a very deep and serious way in order to get that direct connect to source and
1: lead the empire from that connection. Great. Thank you for that brief overview. And now going back to the Sekhmet myth now, with with your interpretation. So, according to the myth, at a time
2: very long ago when things were out of balance, probably much like they are now, back in a time when things were really out of balance, the sun god was upset because the people were no longer respecting him. They weren't doing the ceremonies that, you know gave him his sense of power and he finally called on the daughter of his eye, Sekhmet, to go down to the planet and straighten out these upstart humans. Well, when she incarnated in whatever way that she did, what she saw was so horrifying to her that she just started slaughtering humans. and. In her bloodlust, it soon appeared that she was going to wipe out all of humanity, and that was not what Ra wanted. So he called on Thoth, the god of wisdom, to find out how to stop her. And Thoth told him to have his priests and priestesses make 7,000 vats of barley beer, spiked with various substances like blue lotus and mandrake root, poppies, pomegranate to make it look like blood. And then they were to pour it out while she was napping, and she was going to awaken and think it was blood and lap it up and get drunk and then disappear. And that's how the
1: legend goes. Well, and, and she did lap it, lap it up, and, and then she quit her destruction, Exactly, but come on, she was a goddess. You think she couldn't (laughs) tell what she
2: was drinking?
1: All right, now Nikki's interpretation. All right. (laughs) What she saw and how she responded
2: came from that fierce compassion that she couldn't handle seeing people mistreating each other and the planet in that way. And she lost it. Well, here we are back in the same situation. Things are completely out of balance. Maat, who is the concept and goddess of justice and truth, balance and harmony, it's completely been forgotten by the powers that be at this time. And so... Sekmet's back and she's coming back with a vengeance but in a very different way and she is calling her people and this book is a call out to those people who recognize her name because she comes into their dreams and she comes into their uh, she walks past a statue and suddenly it starts talking to them and So um, they find me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) or they find this Mm -hmm. book. Mm -hmm. And then they realize that if they make this relationship with her, that they have this opportunity to transform themselves and become guardians of
1: Ma'at as well. You mentioned briefly... Besides her 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 fierceness, coming in enough is enough. I, I, yeah, she's one of my uh, pantheons I, that I have on my altar. Enough is enough, goddess. Uh, that besides that, she has these great healing powers. That you said, are people don't realize that she also is a great healer. She's the
2: one who calls the plagues. And
1: she's the one
2: you call on when you get the plague to her bedside, because
1: so she, she caught she, she enough is enough. She calls on the plague. She calls, and in uh, like she, I'm I'm, not, I'm a okay. Look confused at it this about way. That. Look at it this
2: way. Before the floods, back before the dam, when the floods used to come and renew the land things would become blistering. There wasn't enough water. There's only this one river and you couldn't really drink from it. And so there were famines and there were serious problems. And then the floods would come and re-nourish the land.
1: So that would be the destruction, supposedly, but it actually was nourishing. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Nikki Scully, and she is the founder of Shamanic Journeys, and she is the author of many books, including Sekhmet, Transformation in the Belly of the Goddess, if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, shamanicjourneys.com, or you can give there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Nikki Scully. She's the author of Sekhmet, Transformation in the Belly of the Goddess. Sekhmet is an Egyptian goddess. And um, we just talked about the paradox that she brings the plague, and you described, Nikki, how, okay, the floods would come to, for the that would cover these parched lands. So that was like a devastation, but it also, at the same time, replenish the earth so we were going to talk about the healing qualities of Sekmet what i discovered is that
2: because she is a lioness she is a uh, is usually seen in a woman's body with a lioness head or sometimes just as a lioness and they they're fearsome creatures but they're at the top of the food chain and they're very, very intelligent. And when she heals, she heals through like a direct transmission. But the way healing works as I've come to understand it as the creator of alchemical healing is that Your subconscious mind cannot distinguish between a vision, a dream, and three-dimensional reality. And most of our reactions, including what happens to us physically, are based in the programming we receive, you know, from
1: in uterine. We see what we believe. Yeah, and what we are, what has... And we believe been, what we see, we we actually, if there, we we have this belief system that we grow up with and that becomes our reality. Right, and we react
2: in accordance with that. And so we all have these, well, let me get back to how it works first. So if you have an experience experience. For example, I did a healing recently on somebody with a spinal stenosis, double S, and I asked the person how they felt about cobras because serpents are all spine. So if you're working with spine, that's a good totem to work with. And the cobra sits on the dais of Sekmet. That's the kundalini energy. And That's it, where you, her sacem comes from. She's
1: right on her
2: head, the top of right. her head. There's this cobra, and in in the Anubis Oracle card, she's she's on a chariot that, with three cobras, made of three cobras, and so she and the cobra are very closely entwined. Anyway, in this particular healing. I asked the person if they were comfortable with that and they said yes and immediately were able to imagine or see or in whatever way it happens, experience this cobra. And I got her to experience, use as many senses as possible so that when the cobra came in and wrapped around her spine and then began to pull it apart slowly and carefully, it took five maybe 10 minutes at the most, and her spine was straight. And then because her subconscious mind felt, saw, and heard, because I also had her describe it as it was happening, this experience, then... She'd been living with it for 30 years,
1: and it was gone. And
2: I followed up on it, and it's
1: so So gone. it wasn't just a concept. It was something she embodied because, as you say, you, you helped her use all of her senses, her hearing, her tasting, her seeing, right. her touching, her feeling, all of those senses, her imagination, all of it. And then she embodied it. So exactly. it wasn't just an intellectual concept. No, it's, it's how it works. It's scientifically That's how, ritual, how it works. That's how ritual works. Is that what you're saying? That a true ju- ritual journey that, that is
2: going to transform things, if you're going to manifest or transform, yes, underlying it are these principles of changing your subconscious programming and making it conscious. And once you're conscious, then you have a choice in any moment. Are you going to stay awake and stay conscious, or are you going
1: to go back to sleep? Go back to the habitual way. Right. Uh, you, So that that just takes us to your, your thoughts on alchemical healing. And you mm-hmm. have four principles of alchemical healing. I'd love for you, Nikki, to share those. Can okay. you share those with sure. us? Sure. The first one,
2: and although this is, I've written it in a book on healing because power is double edged, and I know that. So I want to only attract those people that are going to use these principles in a beneficial way. So the first thing for any manifestation, and especially for healing, is all the skill that you have accrued in your lifetime, all of your experience is valid and useful. No matter what it is. No matter what it is. Whether whether it's an anatomy class or a dance class or a foreign language or just travel. All of it is useful. The second principle is in the book, it says relationships with spirit. Then... After I had cancer, I realized, well, it's also relationships with your doctors, relation relationships, period, because you can only have so much skill. You can only learn so much. So if you have friends that are scientists or astrologers or all the things that you're missing, or if you have relationship with the gods, which I've spent the last three decades making, um, then you have all this additional power and knowledge and wisdom or knowledge that can be converted to wisdom and
1: applied. So that's like your your larger community. Right. So you have as above, so below. Right. So, and all around. <laughs> right. And so
2: when you're present, all of that is available to you. So that's the second principle. The third principle and the one that most healing forms seem to leave out is divine intervention. To actually hold a space for that which we are not wired to comprehend can add to. I mean, my belief in God is simply, we're not wired to understand it. It's beyond the capable, maybe not the capability of our brains, but the development of our understanding of our brains at this time. But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means we don't comprehend it. So we have all these forms of nature that the Egyptians Gave names to that they call Netaru or gods. And we objectify those and make relationships in that way. But to hold a space for that deeper source that we can't comprehend allows miracles to happen
1: and it's beyond our deductive reasoning and all of that rationality exactly. and that material way that we look at life uh, it's it takes us to that larger realm so when I do a healing
2: whether I do one like I just described on this woman's back um at the end I always, We'll leave space while we're doing the final refill and, you know, touch up to allow, to just be and allow and pay really close attention to allow something that we can't imagine to happen. And sometimes that's the, the main thing and sometimes it's just an nod, you know. Beautifully, beautifully said. And then the fourth part is gratitude. And that's woven through all of it. I work a lot. Like my first defense in healing is usually plants. And it's usually Arnica because whether somebody's had surgery or an accident, there's trauma involved. And if we can... When you are traumatized, you clutch and you hold, and it just stays there. And what Arnica does is it releases that clutch, and you don't need the plant. You just call on the intelligence, offer love to the plant and its family, ask it. I hold up my hand. I can feel the weight of it as it comes into my hand, and I... Offer it into the person, and they can feel it moving around inside them, and then start releasing all that, and that opens them up to the possibilities that can happen when we do this kind of healing. And sometimes
1: that's enough to do it by itself. So when when you say uh, that 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 third part. Allowing for that divine intervention, intervention. you ha- you have uh, a story. You, you uh, not a story, but a an, an life experience, where you were at a firewalking ceremony, and I think you had some <laughs> divine intervention. Can you briefly <laughs> describe that? <laughs> no, that was.
2: Now, there's a difference between ah. that and divine intervention. Yes, that's divine intervention in that I called on a goddess specifically and asked for help. When I talk about the principle of divine intervention, I'm going beyond to that which we really can't understand. If you, if you do this work and connect with the gods and goddesses of any pantheon, whether it's Tara or... Kali or, or Kuan, Yin, Kuan Yin, or, Yin or Medicine Buddha, right. um, you're making relationship, and that's a form of divine intervention. But to go beyond that to the source that we can't name and we can't fully comprehend, that's what I would call God, that's the divine intervention I'm talking
1: about. Well, I'm, I'm so glad that you're making that distinction Because you're saying that the field, we're tapping into some field of energy that is unnamed. I think that in the Jewish tradition they they never speak the name of God. I am if I'm correct. I think you know that 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 you know, you don't even speak the name of God. It's just beyond the beyond. And to have some faith that there is something. That is beyond our everyday situation. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Nikki Scully. She's the author of "Segment Transformation in the Belly of the Goddess. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Nikki Scully, the founder of Shamanic Journeys, and she's an Egyptian. I would say scholar. I mean, uh, well, maybe not scholar, but certainly uh, uh, an expert in in some ways. With what would you call yourself? <laughs> How would you describe that?
2: I. I like to not call myself anything and let people call me
1: whatever they
2: want. <laughs>
0: okay,
1: but you've 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 taken more than sixty journeys to Egypt uh, with a group of people that you have taken and guided through all many the, groups, many 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 groups. You are also the author of Sekmet, Transformation in the Belly of the Goddess, and earlier I was alluding to an experience that you had when—I believe it was one of the first times you actually called on the power of this particular goddess segment, and it was at a firewalking ceremony. Can you describe that? I was teaching at
2: a place where we just rented space, and it turned out to be a nudist colony. But fortunately, we had our own private place that was separated. But I heard that for their entertainment that night, they were doing firewalking. And when I heard myself disparaging firewalking and, you know, kind of, you know, not speaking in in a way that made me realize, wait a minute. What is causing you to say these things? You're afraid to firewalk. And what is firewalking? It's, and well, they had built an immense fire. I mean, I was upset at the amount of wood that they wasted on this firewalk. They didn't need half of it. But they built this huge fire, and then they raked the coals out, and they are glowing red hot coals and they probably had 50 feet and I wasn't going to walk 50 feet, but I, you know, when, when I got there, it had been kind of a disaster. It was late. It was dark. There were no lights except the fire and whatever they happened to have lanterns. And some people had gotten burned, including the leader, and they'd already given instructions, so there was nobody to give instructions, but here I was with my class, and I wasn't not gonna do it. And I was I was really scared. <laughs> and then I remembered Sekmet. And I just said, Sekmet, can you please help me? I know that I can do this, but I really don't know how, would you help me? And suddenly I felt, and I'm not a seer, I'm not a psychic, I don't have those extrasensory perceptions, but I knew that there was a lioness standing at my side and I could put my hand on its back. And I said, oh, can I please have another one? And then another one appeared on my other side. And I sussed out the the fire and decided how far I wanted to walk. It was probably 15 or 20 feet. And I just said, okay, I know you're with me. And I walked. And I was amazed at the texture and the coolness of the glowing red coals. And when I completed the walk, I... I picked up some and was playing with it in my hands and tossing it around and it was it was amazing. And then I knew when to stop. It's like, okay, you're done. I dropped the coals I had and stepped away from it. And uh it was quite a teaching for me. So what was the teaching? well, it it was there were so many levels there were many it was there were many levels to it, but one of the main ones was that Sekhmet was there for me, and that with her at my side, I could do anything within reason. I mean, i I began to understand what it meant to have the kind of relationship I was wanting to build with her.
1: But in in that kind of relationship, if you had asked Sekhmet to, let's say, help you do something that was hurtful to another person, do you think she would show up? I have no idea. I can't, because it would never occur
2: to me. Yeah. Um, That would go against uh, Thoth, the wisdom. God of Egypt is my teacher, and one of the first things I learned about him is that he's accessible to anyone with a a seeking mind, an open heart, and not wishing to do any harm. And so that
1: that would be out of the question. So underline the gods and goddesses, let's say, of Egypt— that there is that underlying principle of of good balance on the earth, and and
2: that is Mott. Yeah, that is consciousness itself. That is the the justice, the truth, the, the like with a capital T. Not our individual truths that are whatever they are, but truth.
1: And cosmic law, not people's law. If we were looking at Mahat and and want to recognize that mm. goddess, what would she—it's a goddess. Is that the— She's is a goddess. A, what does she look like?
2: She's a beautiful woman with a single feather on her
1: head and wings. Ah, so I think we've all seen that. Oh, we didn't yes. know her name because they're there are women that have earrings like that. Do you see them? Or Well uh, Isis has wings too. Oh, okay. But so you know her because of the feather. Single feather. Okay. Whereas
2: Isis would be wearing a throne or she might be wearing the horns of Hathor.
1: Okay. So that's that's helpful to us. So look for the feather and that's that and and you would say that uh mahat would be like um the scales of justice, like what yeah, we absolutely. have what we have we use that yes, woman you that are with the fit. blindfolded woman. Mm-hmm.
2: You you are way your heart is weighed against the feather of Maa at death according to ancient Egyptian funerary ritual. She is the feather on the scales. She is the scale. She is
1: the balance. All right, great. That's very helpful. Now, I know that the subtitle of your book is Transformation in the Belly of the Goddess. What can you say about being transformed in the belly of the goddess? The whole first part of the book is
2: the preparation of an offering that you will take in a guided journey to the statue of Sekhmet um, that's in Karnak where I and Hank Well Wesselman and Normandy and a lot of people have written about their experiences. They're in the those two wrote their experiences in the foreword of how you how this statue comes alive. And in all my experience, in the hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of people that I've escorted through Egypt, I always ask them in the beginning, why are you coming to Egypt? And they all have their various reasons, and some of them just don't know what. And some of them know in front that Sekhmet called them. But once they walk in, and I arrange it so everybody gets alone time, even if it's only a minute or two, their world changes. Their whole, she, she comes alive for them. And... I can only speak to my own experience and relate what other people tell me. But at the end,
1: it's all about Sekhmet. So your own experience when you first were in front was it did it happen the first time that you were Absolutely. in front of that 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 particular image? statue dark colored stone it's, it's statue actually black granite black granite she's standing oh she's standing and about how tall is she maybe 8 or 9 feet i okay. can't remember All right. i haven't been there and in is she years. up on a pedestal or is she no she's on she's on a kind of a plinth which just a little Tiny Uh, pedestal, tiny, yeah. not flat. Flat. But she's still a little bit taller than we are. Yes, but you can look her right in the eye. But you can, okay. And you can
2: connect to her heart to heart. All right. So when I walked in, I mean, it's just a small room with no decorations and no light except from a hole in the ceiling. And I walked in and I turned to face her and I saw a tear come out of her eye. And I, you know, I, I was just stunned. So mine wasn't terribly dramatic, except that it was a stunning moment. And I knew that she was alive, and I knew that she was really glad I
1: was there. And so you then you pursued that from then on. You well, yeah. I would take everybody there, make sure they got
2: to have whatever experience they they would. She have. gave them, and people come out
1: crying. They come out. It, it's. Yeah. Yeah. What about Normandy? What Normandy Ellis? What, what do you recall her experience? Well, until I read her forward, she had never told me the story, and we
2: taught two decades of the <laughs> Egyptian mysteries. She had gotten, she was in Egypt, and she got really, really sick, so sick that she couldn't move for like three days. And in that time, Sekhmet came to her and came into her and... She was just, I haven't read the foreword in a long time. I can't remember exactly what happened. But she passed through the goddess and was inside the goddess. So that was being in the belly of the goddess. That was being in the belly of the goddess for her. And she later told me, initially I wasn't, going to explain it in front and try and make it a surprise that when you did all this work and prepared this incredible offering of everything that you wanted to transform in yourself, that when she devoured it, she would also devour you. (laughs) Uh
1: Oh, (laughs) we'll talk more about that in a moment. I'm talking with Nikki Scully, and she's the author of Sekmet: Transformation in the Belly of the Goddess. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, shamanicjourneys.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Nikki Scully, and she's the author of Sekhmet, Transformation in the Belly of the Goddess. And we're talking about being in the belly of the goddess, and I know that there's more that you can say about that, Nikki. Please help us. The entire
2: book is an alchemical process, and the prime material, the matter that is to be transformed you need to spend a lot of time preparing and so you get a, a a ball of twine and you begin tying knots starting with the last time you reacted from a place of unconsciousness and you realize you been doing that all your life, and like you don't fear know why—anger or, or, or something, or yeah, whatever it is—and you tie a knot for it, and you tie a knot in gratitude for the lessons that that's given you in the past, and you tie a knot and ask that it be transformed. The next thing, then you go to the next one, and the next one, and the next one.
1: And so you kind of keep this ball of twine with you in right, your daily work, exactly by your desk or in your car. <laughs> and when you're
2: not using it, you might have a little altar built for it, uh-huh. and you are preparing this offering for the goddess. So initially, I I wasn't going to tell them, and then I realized, no, I can't do that. This is a book. I can't be responsible for that. They need to know in front what's going to happen. But when Normandy wrote her foreword, she didn't know that. So she didn't tell me that in order, the priestesses, the priests that wear the leopard skin, the priests of a goddess named Seshat, which I won't go into now, but she's the goddess of writing and another partner of Thoth,
1: She's one of my goddesses. Is she? Of <laughs> right, Because I'm one of the scribes, right. And so in
2: order to wear that leopard skin, you have to have passed through the belly of the goddess. So I don't know how they did it then, but this is what she's given me now. And it's an initiatory rite of passage to do this work. And it's very shamanic in that you... Not only experience being devoured, but you experience the entire breakdown and how she separates the knots out and determined what's going to go toward healing what, what's going to go toward strengthening her, what's going to go toward the new you, what's going to be wasted or go out and scat and feed whoever her scat feeds so nothing is wasted but in experiencing that while you're living your life you're learning to live in the spirit world and the physical world simultaneously because you have to have attention on what she's doing in order for this to work and The process of this book allows you to gain that kind of perspective and attention. And all the journeys that you go through as you break down, you witness yourself being reduced to your absolute essence. And then you pass through the eye of the needle And everything's the same, yet everything is different. And then you start the rebuilding. But the rebuilding, the regeneration of yourself is a co-creation of you and Sekhmet working together. And then she brings in various other deities to assist in the process. And by the time that you have matured in her belly and that you have been reconstituted, then when she births you in the way that she does, when you emerge, let's put it that way, when you emerge from her, you are an adult child of this goddess She is in you, and you are in her, and that's it for your entire life. And you
1: are a warrior for Ma'at. I want to ask you, I know that you have many journeys in this book. It's all journeys. It's all journeys. Is there a way to access these journeys besides a written word? I'm working on it. I'm doing... um, I do. I mean, I know that you had video classes. audio. You had an audio CD at one point. But I have not done that with this. What I like
2: to tell people to do is share it with someone and take turns oh, and reading, reading it. it to each there other. There you go. Because that way, you also have support and somebody to share your experience with. We also have a forum that if you get hold of me at um, office at shamanicjourneys.com and and tell me that you're doing this work, I'll put you in the forum and you can ask questions of people who've done the work. And I look in there as often as I can. And uh, we try and get discussions going about these processes because... You know, people say, well, I've never done anything before. You know, can I start with this? And it's really, you know. If she's
1: calling you, you know. And So if you're asking the question, it's probably that, yeah, you've arrived uh, at the right. answer. And I love it that you're saying to do it with someone else. That's that's a wonderful suggestion so that, that you share it with another. And, or a because circle. Because they're very, very deep practices and I know that I went through the book and I read them but it for me you know to read them to myself I can't read and then go into this other space so that that's very helpful Nikki, when you talk about being uh, devoured in the belly of the goddess, I mean that, and taking these shamanic journeys, uh, that that sounds pretty scary. What can you say about that?
2: Well, we deal with fear in the very beginning of the book. That's the the first journey um, is getting rid of the fear because that's a natural response to people, especially if they don't realize that um, shamanic death, illumination, and rebirth is its just part of the shamanic path. So if you do shamanic practices, even if you're not a shaman, you're likely to experience that. And if you experience it in a shamanic way, It's much better than getting yourself splashed across the freeway so that you have time to think about what you can learn when you're in the belly of the goddess and devoured. Um, So it's an intentional step to go through the experience of shamanic death, illumination, and rebirth.
1: I remember years ago, uh, I mean, really, I'm going back decades uh and Michael, my partner, his first real deep psychedelic experience. I remember when he mm-hmm. came out of it. He was just he just looked illuminated. he just was shining and he said, "Oh, I dissolved into all of history and all of everything that I was and just became just just... Nothing but particles, and all. And he just started describing all of this, and he didn't come out of it with any fear at all. He was just like very excited, total love, and, There and, is nothing but love. And he he had this experience, and it, that yeah. that's kind of what you're talking about. It's exactly like what I'm talking not about. Not to be, it dissolves into that which we are, which is love. Yeah, our essence. Our essence. The ego
2: splits long Ego is important. We need it in order to survive. However, less is best (laughs) for most of us (laughs) (laughs) and none for those occasions when we want to become one with all that is. And from the vantage point of inside the belly and living your life in it's it's the perspective is so different and you realize that these gods as we call them are actually part of us they're part of our DNA and we them especially well if you go through this you and Sekmet will have shared such an intimate relationship that
1: you are one and the same. Nikki, I want to thank you so much for being part of the New Dimensions program today. I've been speaking with Nikki Scully. She's the author of Sekhmet, Transformation in the Belly of the Goddess. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, shamanicjourneys.com. And I also want to mention uh, all of her her books are available and her workshops uh, are are also listed on her website called hathersmirror.com. So hathorsmirror.com, where you can actually buy her books directly if, if that's—and uh, they're signed copies, too. I want to tell you all that uh, you can also get to all of that through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3624.
0: New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine willis Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson.